Dinjarin, have you ever removed your helmet? Have you ever removed your helmet? By creed, you must vow. I have. Then you are a Mandalorian no more. I beg you for your forgiveness. How can I atone? Leave apostate. According to Creed, one may only be redeemed in the living waters beneath the mines of Mandalore. But the mines have all been destroyed. This is the way. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this special episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. I am your host on this solo mission, Carl LeClaire, and I am here to talk about some of the stuff that went down in Chapter 5 of the Book of Boba Fett. So heads up, spoiler, spoiler alert, if you've not yet watched this episode, please turn it off now so as to avoid spoilers, uh, because there's some stuff that goes on in this episode that I want to talk about. Um, so... You've been warned. Spoilers ahead. Uh, I'm going to get right into this. Uh, Calling this special episode, Is This the Way? I think this is a great question that is raised in light of the events of Chapter 5 of Book of Boba Fett, which for a lot of folks, we're just calling it what it is. It's an episode of Mandalorian (laughs) because Din is back. We're getting more of his story. We're finding out what he is up to. After the events of the finale of uh, season two of Mandalorian and some real big things go down in relationship with his covert. So as we all know, if we've watched this episode, which again, I hope you have, if you're still listening, Din is back on some, you know, space station. Uh, I don't know where it is. Great looking space station. Um, And he has rejoined the covert that was all but obliterated at the end of season one of Mandalorian on, um, oh my goodness, I'm blanking on the planet name. Oh, Navarro. Um, so he is back with them. He clearly is trying to find his purpose, trying to find his sense of belonging in light of saying goodbye to Grogu, offering, giving him up to Luke Skywalker, which will forever be the worst thing Luke Skywalker has ever done in my book is taking Grogu away from his dad. Um, and the the amount of confusion that Din is clearly working through is is pretty incredible. Um, we are meeting we are meeting Din again as he's trying to move forward, move forward with a life that has has been through a whirlwind in season two. He has met other Mandalorians. He has met a Jedi. Uh, he has met two Jedi at this point. Um, between Ahsoka and Luke, and he returns to the to the group, to the tribe that gave him a sense of belonging, gave him a sense of meaning. And he gets called out pretty quickly by the armorer. She asks him um, from the clip that that is played at the start of the episode if he's ever taken off his helmet. And again, something that's clearly established about Din's character through both seasons of Mandalorian is that he is not a man who lies. He is honest. He is going to tell the truth. 
and he admits that he has. And without any second guessing, without any explanation as to perhaps why he may have done this, the armorer immediately tells him he is no longer Mandalorian. And then Paz Vizla calls him an apostate, which of course is a term used for people that um, leave from a religious tradition, leave from a religious um, background. And uh, as someone who's always been a student of religion, I want to just talk about this scene. I want to talk about the danger and the damage that the children of the watch, which is, of course, what the, the Mandalorian covert are part of, what that's all about and why that's problematic. Um, if you haven't, uh, a lot of this is a lot of these thoughts have come into my head after reading um, Maggie Lovett, who is incredibly intelligent, wrote a great article on Collider, kind of looking at how people have to deal with religious trauma um, and how this episode kind of highlights Din dealing with a sense of religious identities trauma. Um, so I want to break this down into a few different parts, um, and hopefully you'll come along for this little journey. Um, but I want to I want to start with this foundational reality that for Din, something is profoundly changed in him after his time with Grogu, which, of course, we all know that. We know he's a very different character. Um, but there is uh, there is a very poignant uh, quote in in the Christian scriptures. It comes from um, Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter three, verse eight. And Paul says, for for Jesus's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In other words, Paul is saying that everything that his life has been about means nothing to him compared to the relationship he's been able to create and cultivate with the person of Jesus. So that is significantly important for Paul. Paul of, um, of this ancient world was a renowned Jewish scholar. He was part of the religious elite and yet he understands that kind of this orthodoxy of this early religious movement is impinging on what the spirit of God is doing. Um, and, and that is so true for Din. Din Djarin, his relationship with Grogu, his sense of um, duty to protect Grogu and, and help him find where he belongs – has become the most important part of Din's journey from season one through season two. And that duty of protection clearly was something instilled in Din because of his affiliation with the children of the Watch. Again, this particular group of Mandalorians and something that is central to their belief system, something central to their creed is when they find a foundling, it is to protect that foundling and to bring them in or to help them find where they ultimately belong. And that's clearly influenced Din in his journey. And I think what I, what I immediately love about Din is I think about all the things he's done specifically in season two in, in, you know, chapter, um, chapter 15, the believer, when he pulls that helmet off in front of all those Imperial officers in front of Mayfeld, he's consciously making a decision to be faithful to his deepest core sense of identity, which is the protector and keeper of Grogu, the, the protector of the child. 
And in a lot of ways, I would, I would say that Din isn't necessarily abandoning the creed. If the creed is about protecting a foundling, that is exactly what he's doing here. Um, is he prescribing to the letter of the Mandalorian way? Of course not. But he's obeying the spirit of the law. Um, and again, <laughs> there, there are so many prophets throughout the Old Testament that are very adamant. That is the, what is most important to God is not this orthodoxy around the letter of the laws and of uh, doctrine, but more so about being faithful to the living ways that God works in the world. And that's really what Din is doing. Um, that's, you know, that episode, The Believer, is, in my opinion, one of the best episodes of Mandalorian. And we see him there make a very conscious, hard decision to remove that helmet. And by doing so, he's made the conscious choice of what is most important to him, again, is protecting Grogu. Um, so here, when we find him in chapter five of Book of Boba Fett, re, you know, returned to the covert, and he is asked point blank by the armorer if he has removed his helmet, and he owns it. Yes, I have. And again, she tells him he's not a Mandalorian. And what's so interesting again is that Din has encountered other Mandalorians now. Right. Um, in season two, he meets Bo-Katan and some of her colleagues and Bo-Katan points out that he is a child of the watch, which she describes as this extremist group that broke away from Mandalorian society in order to try to recapture the ancient way. Right. It's kind of this, it, which kind of points the picture that paints the picture that the children of the watch are kind of this reactionary group. They're not pleased with the progress of Mandalorian society. They want to go back to something ancient. Um, and we've seen societies and religious traditions do this throughout human history, where when progressive views are presented to them, rather than going forward with the movement of the spirit, they become reactionary. They go back to these old sensibilities that are often quite stifling. So Din has been given a new perspective of others who who claim to be Mandalorian. And again, like what's what's interesting is when when Din meets Bo Katan and takes off her helmet and kind of pulls you know, kind of highlights the fact that the children of the watch are more of this extremist group, he looks at her and says, There is only one way. Um Right, he has been so indoctrinated by the children of the watch that for him the only way to be Mandalorian is to do it his way, to do it their way, to be part of this covert, to be part of this child children of the watch group. They are the only ways in Din's mind up to this point to be Mandalorian. So it raises the question then in Din's mind of who can be Mandalorian? And, you know, what's, what's interesting is that there's, in, in the eyes of the children of the watch, there is an incredible importance of foundlings, right? That, that is the way to continue their lineage, is to find these foundlings, to bring them into the tribe, to bring them into this group, and that is how you propagate uh, this, man, this sense of identity for Mandalorians. Um, and what's also, though, kind of progressive about this is the fact that 
the children of the watch are open to anyone. Anyone can become Mandalorian if they swear allegiance to the creed promise to never take their helmet off once it's been put on and clearly follow the letters of their law. So, and if you do that, according to the children of the watch, that's how you become Mandalorian. So it's in my opinion, like this kind of this double edged sword, like there's something quite lovely that anyone can be Mandalorian in their eyes. But the problem is, is this is the only way to be Mandalorian is kind of this strict adherence to, again, their ancient way. Um, and one of the central tenets is to never remove the helmet. Um, and I, I just, you know, as, as so many of us know, um, Star Wars has always been rooted in uh, real world religions. I mean, that was very uh, poignant for George Lucas when he when he told the original trilogy, you know, this, this whole mysticism around the force and the Jedi it was this conglomeration of Taoism and Buddhism, little bits of Christianity. Um, and it was a way of just kind of recapturing for George the importance of religion. What's interesting, um, I was talking with a, a good friend of mine this morning, um, and my friend Katie is a Unitarian minister, and she spent a lot of time living in India years ago and uh, was often around a lot of people who were part of the Sikh religious tradition. Um, and there's, she was pointing out to me how there's a lot of similarities between Sikhs and the children of the watch sense of being a Mandalorian. So in, uh, in the Sikh tradition, you don't cut your hair, you don't shave, and these are physical ways of showing that you're part of this religious group. Um, there are, you know, as, as time has gone on, there are particular groups of Sikhs who don't adhere to that strict observance of these things. And there's some that do. And they seem to actually live in a sense of mutual respect, uh, something a lot of Western religious traditions are incapable of. Um, but, uh, uh, I mean, this, this, there's this, again, the centrality in the Sikh tradition of... Um, how you present yourself, these, you know, again, the way you wear your hair, the way you wear your facial hair, um, if you're, you know, a man, um, helps identify you as a Sikh. And clearly for the children of the watch, you don't show your face. You wear this helmet. This is part of your identity. And as uh, Din has now said twice in the series, um, weapons are part of his religion. In the Sikh tradition, Sikhs carry something called a uh, a kirpan, I might be pronouncing that wrong, but it's a small little dagger they wear on their belt. And it's meant to be this symbol of always being at the ready to defend the innocent and defending the works of justice. Um, and what's interesting that we learned in chapter five of Book of Boba Fett is the armorer says that Beskar is meant to be used for armor alone. It's not to be made into weapons, but armor. Again, that's it's meant to be this... Um, this tool for protection, protecting the innocent, and probably more specifically, protecting foundlings. Um, so just a really neat overlap of, um, of, a, of a real world religious tradition kind of intersecting. And what's, I mean, these, physic, these physical realities of the Sikh tradition translate well with things from Children of the Watch. Something that's clearly different, though, is Sikhs are much more open-minded, much more... Um, much more compassionate in how they understand who can identify as Sikh. Again, children of the watch, it's you have to do these things. If you, if you disrupt any of these, these orthodox practices, you cannot call yourself Mandalorian. Um, 
And that's really problematic. Uh, you know, I, I shared this on Twitter this morning, but I, I grew up in the Catholic tradition, as many of you who've listened to the show over the years know. I mean, my education, my, my master's degree is in Catholic theology. Um, and there's a lot of things I will forever love about Catholicism. But several years ago, I left that church tradition to become part of the Episcopal Church for, for one of the main purposes of the fact that it is far more progressive, that it is far more inclusive and in my opinion and in my experience, much more open to the way the living spirit of God works rather than being so bogged down by orthodoxy, by sticking to set ways of believing and, and acting. Um, and, you know, something that has plagued the Catholic tradition pretty much since its inception is this um, arrogant notion that, quote, there is no salvation outside of the church. Now, granted, in the 1960s, during the Second Vatican Council, they kind of changed that language. They no longer say that. But they still have this arrogance of, while we believe that all religions have um, a ray of truth, we possess the fullness of truth, which, again, that's arrogance and foolhardy and hubristic. Um, and But Catholicism is not alone. Living in America, American Christianity, specifically the um, evangelical tradition, not all evangelical Christians, but a lot of the born again kind of right wing Christian evangelicals seem to believe that it's their way or hell. Um, much like the, the children of the watch believe that it's our way or you're not Mandalorian. Um, and that is such a violent way of being religious. Um, and it's quite frankly, um, a very ignorant way of being religious, uh, seeing the world in black and white, seeing God or the divine in black and white is the epitome of human arrogance. Um, I mean, for, for Christians, the original sin was thinking you could know better than God. Well, when you say it's, this is the only way to believe or else you go to hell. Well, that's original sin right there, friends. <laughs> so, um, Again, as any of you who know, have listened over the years, you've probably heard the way I, I've talked about religion, talked about the way I believe. And um, so, you know, when I, when I heard the armor make that comment, um, it immediately just, you know, it woke up the reality that this is the way so many people live. They live and they want to live in a simplistic black and white world um, and they try to cultivate political systems and religious systems, um, cultural systems that try to live in that black and white. That's not reality. That's not the way the world works. Um, so it's just very interesting that, you know, like I said earlier, when Din admits to have taken his helmet off, there's no question as to why there's, you know, it's, Oh, you broke the rules. You are no longer part of our group. You can no longer be part of this covert. You are no longer a Mandalorian. There are countless stories of people experiencing this sad truth in American Christianity. There are still so many traditions that are incredibly ignorant about accepting uh, people that are part of the LGBTQ community, right? And if you come out in some of these traditions, they tell you, you're no longer part of our tradition. You can no longer be Christian, right? The violence that is inflicted by that black and white mentality is deplorable and frankly, not Christian. <laughs> so, um, 
So yeah, and 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 for the people that that kind of hold this black and white view, it's because they are so caught up in the orthodoxies of their belief. They are so caught up in these fundamentalist, literalist ways of understanding um, their religious texts and the way that those religious texts ought to be practiced and lived out. Um, but again, that that belittles those texts. That belittles the truth that is contained within those. Um, and I would argue, you know, the children of the watch are in, in a lot of ways failing at being Mandalorian. Um, kind of that, that black and white view of if you, if you remove the helmet, you can't be us. You can't be part of us anymore. No, you know, no questions asked. You're just not part of us. That is, and that's going to just that now that just adds a whole new layer onto Din's sense of self and sense of identity. Um, he's no longer Grogu's protector, and now technically he's not even Mandalorian. He begs for forgiveness, and the armorer's only response is to give him what seems to be an impossible task of going to some ancient pool in the depths of Mandalore, which a lot of people don't even believe are accessible anymore. So there is no wiggle room. There is no mercy or sense of forgiveness coming off the armorer. Um, yeah, armor, she sucks in my opinion. <laughs> so um, I got no room for that sort of uh, that sort of small mindedness. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it does. It just it really paints a really important question and a really, um, you know, a, a, a really big new step for where will Din go from here? Um, and clearly where he's going to go from here is somewhere with Boba Fett. I mean, this episode is included in book of Boba Fett and that's not by accident. Um, and I want to just kind of look at some of the connections that Din and Boba share, um, specifically in their, uh, being claimed by particular groups and tribes. So right. What, the way book of Boba Fett opens, which awesome to me is the fact that he's discovered by the Tuscan Raiders. They bring him in, make them make him one of their own. Um, that's the same origin story in a lot of ways for Din. Din is found by the children of the watch. He's brought in and is offered to swear the creed, which he does. So both Din and Boba have been brought in by these tribes. And again, the goodness of this, both we see with the Tuscans and children of the watches seems to be that anyone is welcome to be part of these these communities that are are welcome to be part of these tribes. Now, unfortunately, as as I much to my chagrin, we didn't get a lot more exploration with the Tuscans after two episodes, which really sucks. Um, so we don't know if they're necessarily like a, a particularly super orthodox group, but we certainly know that the children of the Watch are. Um, but both Din and Boba, in a lot of ways, are orphans. They are these two orphans who have found a way of belonging within a tribe. Right, so they have that shared experience. Um, so, you know, it's uh, it's really interesting that when that they're they're being drawn back together, and what does that mean? Where are they going to go from here? Again, we don't know for certain. Um, I'm sure the next couple episodes are gonna are gonna point that out for us. Um, but perhaps they'll go on an adventure together. Um, we don't know. But uh, what's What's important to, to know is something the armor says earlier in the episode that I, I thought was really interesting is when um, Din mentions he's met Bo-Katan and the armor says Bo-Katan is uh, a cautionary tale and kind of seems to 
uh, bemoaned the fact that in, on Mandalore, in order to be leader, it, it because of folks like Bogotan, it became something by hereditary right. Um, it was something right in your blood. If you were related to this particular group or tribe or family, that that meant you could be ruler. That doesn't seem to fly for the armor. She doesn't believe in that. Um, so, you know, Din kind of exists in this in-between space. He's certainly not of origin on, he, I mean, he's not by blood, even a Mandalorian. So probably in the eyes of folks that are on team Bo-Katan, Din can't be Mandalore. Um, but in the eyes of the armor, he can, because he can wield the dark saber. Whoever wields the dark saber can rule Mandalore. So he's kind of in this in between because he's sent off told he's not a Mandalorian, um, by the armorer, and yet he p- still possesses the dark saber. So is he, or isn't he again? I think these are questions that we're going to find out. Um, and I'm curious to see how Din's journey with this will overlap with Boba's Boba made it very clear at the end of season two of Mandalorian that he, he had no interest in going back to Mandalore. He had no interest in joining Bo-Katan's group and trying to reliberate Mandalore and help out in that fight. But I don't know, maybe Din will change his mind. Um, they both probably, I mean, it's, it's been made clear that Boba understands that strength comes from belonging to a tribe. That was, that was the deepest lesson he seems to have learned from the Tuscans. And that's what he's, uh, that's what he's trying to do by kind of reinvent the wheel of criminality on Tatooine. Um, he's trying to prevent terrible atrocities like what happened to the Tuscans. Um, so there's a sense of goodness in him now that I don't think we ever expected to be there. And I, for one, love it. Obviously, there are fans that that don't like that and don't understand why. But um, and uh, so you have Din, this noble warrior character who's now a loner, overlapping with Boba's journey. And I'm just curious to see where it'll go. Um, will they perhaps go back to Mandalore? Will they? Will Boba take the this this truth he's been living out in the show? And and go with Din perhaps to Mandalore and maybe reinvent what it means to be Mandalorian. Who can be Mandalorian? Do you have to be part of this? Do you have to have Mandalorian blood in your system like Bo-Katan? Or do you have to be Mandalorian by wearing a helmet all the time like the armorer? I don't think either one of those is the right answer. I think Din and Boba are offering a middle way. They're offering something in the middle, something that exists in the gray that doesn't exist in a black and white reality. Um, and again, I just, I can't wait to see where that takes us. Um, so the last thing I just kind of wanted to hit on is why is all this important? Why is all this question about the way so important, um, beyond just the story of star Wars? Well, I think it, it first and foremost, it offers a lesson for religions today, um, specifically exclusionary religions, religions whose orthodox doctrines, tend to put God or the divine in a box and also all of its participants in a box. This is how you behave. This is the only way to relate to the divine. And it's this way or no way. (laughs) Um, Right. So this is kind of highlighting the damage of those systems, the damage this does to individuals. And um, again, in the sense of religion, I would argue the damage it does to the living 
God. <laughs> so um, I think this is offering up a very powerful lesson about the harm that is inflicted by fundamentalist groups, by groups that think it's this way or no way. That is just wildly, wildly problematic. Um, so that's huge. Uh, this is Star Wars offering a lesson to the world outside of Star Wars. And I think also what's important to note is that this this whole conversation, which again, I think is a conversation that's going to just start to develop, but I think it also offers some lessons for us as fans, as Star Wars fans, lessons for fandom itself. Um, and the first thing that comes to mind for me is the importance of letting go of our orthodox obsession with canon. And I mean that in the sense of, you know, so many pointless, mean conversations and debates in Star Wars fandom is around the orthodoxy of canon. Is this canon? Is this not canon? Well, this is this is not how it was in Legends. Well, this is how it is now and forget Legends, right? There's there's just so much animosity around around these conversations of canon. But I feel like this episode itself is kind of offering up a reflection on that, offering up the reflection to us as a fan community of how obsessed are we with these orthodox ways of thinking about Star Wars and Star Wars as canon? Um, perhaps this is an invitation to, to kind of just let that go a bit, because let's be real. At the end of the day, this is a made up world. It's a made up story, um, but it's still offering us something of great value. Um, and I also think, again, is, is my last point I was trying to, to make there with Din and Boba kind of representing this new middle way. Um, I think it's a reminder, too, that anyone and everyone can be a Star Wars fan, you know. Um, the armor seems to think any, you know, it's, it's very clear. The children of the watch believe that anyone can be Mandalorian. Um, but with all these restrictions and baggage, um, right. I think it's important for us as star Wars fans to, to always remember that everyone is welcome to be a star Wars fan, whether the only thing you've seen is Mandalorian or you've seen every single movie, every TV episode and read every book, right? What, no matter where you exist on that spectrum, you're a star Wars fan period end of discussion, right? So we're sadly continuing to live in a fandom where there's tremendous amounts of gatekeeping where folks say you can be a fan. You can't be a fan. Um, and I think the lessons from this particular episode of book of Boba Fett offer up something different to think about, offer up the reality again, that we as a star Wars community should be welcoming anyone and everyone and welcoming them is a, as they are not asking them to change, not saying, well, here's the prerequisites you need in order to be a true fan. Um, that shouldn't exist. Um, and I think that's the lesson that Din and uh, hopefully and potentially even Boba here are going to kind of teach us. So I could be way off about where they go together. You know, again, time will tell we'll, we'll find out in the next couple of weeks, but I think the, the cruelty of the armor in this episode towards Din Djarin, is something that just offers us tremendous food for thought. And at the end of the day, I hope these, these ramblings of mine have maybe just given you the opportunity to think a little bit more about how this might overlap with your own lived experience. Um, because obviously at the end of the day, that's my favorite part of star Wars is when it does overlap with my lived experience and has something to say about it. 
Um, so again, like I said at the start, I've always been a student of religion. I've always been a practitioner of religion. I love religion. <laughs> I, I, you know, I understand that religions can be wildly um, abusive and terrible and wrong. Um, but I would still argue they tr- they still serve a tremendous purpose. Um, and uh, I've always tried to find that middle way of, of, of not living in an orthodox reality. I don't want to be part of a tradition that is super orthodox because, again, that it puts limitations on us and it puts limitations on how the divine interacts with us. Um, so, yeah, um, those are just kind of my thoughts that kind of come out of this particular episode of Book of Boba Fett. So I hope you enjoyed this. I hope I made some sense. I feel like I may have rambled a bit. My apologies in that regard. But all the same, I appreciate you checking out this special episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. Um, And uh, we look forward to seeing you here next time in the Wampus Lair.